It's a familiar passage of Scripture to us. It's really not in my heart. It was not my intent to preach an, an, uh, a Christmas sermon. And that's not what this is about today, though I'm extracting this from one of the passages of Scripture that are associated with, certainly, the birth of Christ. Today, I'm going to share from these few verses, the 18th verse of the first chapter of Matthew to the 25th verse, but I'm going to kind of go in a line upon line breakdown of this passage with some thoughts that God put in my heart, and I'll expound upon that in a moment. But prior to, I would like for us to stand in honor of the Lord and the Word of God today, and by the reading of this passage of Scripture, though we're going to look at it, make personal application to us. I know it's a familiar passage. It's going to be read and this passage along with the account in Luke's gospel is going to be shared in churches all over the world from Protestant to Catholic to Eastern Orthodox. It's going to be shared. It's timeless truths from the Word of God. Right? Timeless. Covers all denominational barriers. It's just the Word. The 18th verse says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. King James Version. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name our song that we sung a few minutes ago, say it with me, Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Aren't you thankful he is with us today? The 24th verse, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I would suppose that with the passage as familiar and even famous, if I may use that word, as this passage of Scripture, there are so many different ways of application that I could make, certainly from the traditional standpoint. But today I found um, something different, perhaps even in the context of something I heard that T.D. Jakes say recently to pastors. And it was, in essence, he said, spin the text. Spin the text. Try to look at it from a different angle. Look at it from a way that you've not looked at it previously. Well, I believe God has quickened something in my heart that I'm really even a little, I don't mean this in a bad way, anxious to share with you. I don't mean it, I mean kind of a nervous. I have a ner an, inner, an inner nervousness because I know of the potential that a singular moment can have in your life. And I, I've, I've extracted this thought from this passage. It's called a defining moment. A defining moment. You know, it, ultimately it seems like that when you look at your life, you will find through the course of your many days and months and years 
that who you are and what you are oftentimes is shaped by just a few small segments in time where you were confronted with something and you had to respond to it. Right? And thus all you became from that moment forward could be traced to what you did with that which was put in front of you. It was a defining moment. I believe Joseph had that kind of defining moment in this passage. And I believe that if you and I can do something that I, I say often, it's called biblical association. I don't know if that's a term in a theological book somewhere, but, you know, I've been known to make up words and terms. So I call it biblical association because I associate myself with the text. I associate myself with the character, I, I, the, the story. I, I want to do more than just read it. I want to somehow put myself in the scenario so that what, what was revealed to him and what happened to him can somehow be worked out in my life. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. And scripture promises us this. He that has an ear, let him hear. That means that in just a few moments, I'm going to share a corporate word. But you, you have to have an ear to hear what God wants you to hear through this. Now remember, I cannot share a word that is equal to everybody's situation in this room. Every situation differs from the situation in life that you're in, whether you are in a very high place of blessing or favor or the lowest, most difficult hour of your life. But I believe that if you have an ear to hear the Holy Spirit, come on, can quicken a word inside you and even from a text that I'm making a universal application to, you can make a personal application. Does that make sense? That's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we call upon his name, the name of Jesus today. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're asking that you share this good word with this people today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, to continue that briefly, I wanted you to be seated, but I'm still in an introductory mode for just a moment. You know, for a brief moment, let me set the, the foundation, not to the text, but to the, but the process that God shared with me to share with you. Sometimes that helps you understand. You know, our church, when I mean by our church, I'm talking about the church of First Assembly Heber Springs is a, is a changing component. And that's, God means for the church to change and to be shaped and conformed to the image of Jesus and his divine purpose for us. And... As, as we change and as we are listening and, and, and wanting to do and to be and different things are being exposed to us of ways and means that we can minister to people. And ultimately, that's one of our highest, you know, uh, objectives is to minister to people. One of the tendencies that we find oftentimes as pastors is if we're not careful, we get caught in the trap of comparative, of a comparison between churches and you can look at other churches and you can see what they may be doing and then you may look at your church and you may find yourself shallow in an area that they're strong in and therefore you can feel as Jojo said a little insignificant somewhere along the way it happens the same as it happens in your life it can happen pastorally as you kind of search and there are, God raises up diverse ministries for diverse purposes because we can't all do the same thing. It's a, God didn't make the church bricks. You've heard us say that before. He called us to be lively stones. There are no two stones alike. God's put us together in the body as he sees fit. One of the things that, that, I, that, I, that, that I aspire, if I can use that word correctly, as a pastor is that 
as our identity develops within our church and within this church family, the thing that I want to never let go of, that I believe should be the, one of the founding principles of faith that we at First Assembly, who we are, is that we are a church that has a prophetical word in our spirit. That we've got a word that is beyond just a cut, a copy and pasted word. You know, I could teach a lesson here today, okay? Anybody that's got any measure of the ability to, to, to speak publicly or any level of education can teach you a lesson, okay? But that's not what you need. You need a quickened word. You need something, that, that breath that we've spoken about, that breathed into Adam, the, the, the breath of life, that same breath is also what quickens the word, the pneuma, the life, the life of the word in us, the prophetical unction. It's when that which what we see as common suddenly becomes uncommon. That which we see as familiar suddenly becomes unfamiliar to us because God has quickened it. He's made it alive. It was thus this way in my heart this past Thursday as I sat right over here in the, in the quietness of this sanctuary, deep in my own personal thoughts, in prayer over personal situations in my own life, when it was in one of those moments when I felt like I was Zacchaeus in the holy place. As Zacchaeus in the book of uh, Luke, I believe, in chapter number 1, was burning incense in the temple, suddenly an angel spoke to his heart. Spoke to him. He appeared there and spoke to him about his future. I believe that God gave me that kind of word for you today. I really do. Now that's why I'm 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 very nervous in my in my ability to share it because I know again of that singular moment that you can have, and even today could be a defining moment for you. I believe that even in church, even in as pastors minister the word of God, you can experience a defining moment. So let's begin to extract the text for just a moment. Verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. So we're going to look at it practically speaking for just a moment. It's quite different in this revelation than what Luke gives us. Luke gives us the full record of how the angel Gabriel first standing in the presence of, the, of Zacchaeus in the holy place and then from there to Mary speaks the word to Mary. Luke omits, or Matthew omits the, that account, and his focus is on what the response to this is. The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they could come together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So stop right there for a moment. And let's try to look at it practically because I think there's a practical progression that needs to make before we arrive at the prophetical revelation that comes forth out of it. First of all, when the angel had spoken to Mary, and remember that account, Luke records it so eloquently, and I would fail in my ability to quote it and perhaps even in my ability to paraphrase it, when he spoke to her about that she had been chosen by God to carry the Son of God, the seed of the Son of God. Remember her response, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said to her, and she was aware of her own virginity, how shall this be, seeing I know? She knew that this was not an equation that could be worked out in the natural realm, right? This was beyond the natural familiarity that she has experienced. And thus, she in essence said, how shall this be? I have never known. I've never known anyone intimately. I'm a spouse to someone, but I've never known him. And the promise from the angel was that the Holy Ghost... The Holy Ghost would overshadow you and the thing that was be born of you would be called the Son of God. Remember her response after hearing those words. She said, be it unto me even 
according to your word. And we believe that that was the immaculate conception. That's where the Holy Spirit of God hovered over her womb. There was no distorted Mormon doctrine where El Shaddai comes down in visible form and has a sexual account with Mary. That's distorted, perverted, satanic doctrine. It was the invisible force of the Holy Spirit that hovered over the earth in the genesis of time. That same Spirit hovered over the empty, vacant womb of this virgin girl and conceived the life of the Son of God inside of her until after eight weeks a heart began to beat that used to beat in eternity is now beating inside the womb of this virgin girl. Come on, somebody. It's a powerful revelation to us. Now, when she receives this word, though, from the angel, Luke records that she arises in haste because the angel also told her about her cousin Elizabeth who did not have the same type of conception but did have a, con- a miraculous conception because she's an aged woman. That she's past the flower of her age. and She, too, has, is, is with child. So Mary hastens, goes into the hill country of Judea, and after three months she returns The Bible doesn't tell us when the conversation happened that Mary had to have with Joseph and perhaps with his family that I am with child. So I want you to look at it through the natural lens for a moment. Joseph is a spouse to Mary. Mary suddenly leaves and goes away for three months. Upon her return, she's showing the effects that she's with child. And in the conversation, her, her, her ways to, her, her means to explain what's happened is, an angel has spoken to me, and the, the word of God is on the inside of me. Now that's hard for anybody in the natural realm to respond to. Come on, somebody. So I can, I can identify with Joseph for just a moment. I believe Joseph is devastated. I believe Joseph is thinking not necessarily carnally, but he's just thinking like a natural human being. If I can use the strong language of the King James English, Mary has played the harlot. That's what's in his mind. Strong language borrowed from the King James. She's played the harlot. And I believe his heart is broken. Joseph had already begun, most probably, he had already, he's a carpenter by trade. He had already began to build their house. You know, typically the espousal period during the Jewish, you know, arranged marriages approximately lasted about a year. So that from the time that they were espoused to the time that they actually came together in marriage, that the man would actually begin to build his house. So he's already given much thought. Perhaps he's even dug down in the soil of Bethlehem or of, of uh, Nazareth, correct? Of Nazareth to actually lay the stones for their house where they will one day live only to now discover that all is perceived to be lost in a devastating word. In his mind, he's planned their future. He's contemplated their marriage. Let me tell you what else he's also contemplated. I'll just be honest with you. Every young man in the contemplation of their marriage, he's also planning the consummation of their marriage. He's thinking sexually. I'm just being honest. He's thinking about in in anticipation of that night of the consummation of their marriage. And then he's thinking about their children, that one day we're going to have kids. And now his heart is broken. Mary's pregnancy shatters his dream, and it radically alters his future. Now listen, when I thought on this, I thought it this way. I thought it was almost like a slingshot for a moment or a catapult, that sometimes you're pulled way back 
before you're be, about to be launched way forward. And that's why you got to be careful to misdiagnose where you are because you may be backed way up here thinking all is lost. Well, you better get ready because God could be just about ready to launch you forward. Come on, somebody, in your divine destiny. So in this passage, let's go forward. The 19th verse. So Joseph, is, being her husband, is a just man. Joseph is a good man. He's not willing to make her a public example. And so he's minded to put her away privately. Now, according to the strict this, uh, interpretation of the law of Moses, we all would agree that Joseph could have her stoned for her supposed adultery. At the worst, he could at least expose her to public shame. But as he thought on these things, he determined in his heart to let her go away quietly. How many know there's sometimes that that's the best way? That's the best way to resolve a situation. Sometimes you never make conclusion in certain situations, and sometimes you've got to just let the fire go out. Are you all with me today? And so Joseph in his heart, in his mind, though he could do this, very extreme, radical Judaism, have her stoned outside the city gates for her supposed harlotry or adultery, second course of action could be is to quietly resolve or dissolve, excuse me, the previously arranged covenant and then begin the process of picking himself back up. How many know that would be a process? Anybody that's ever gone through either a divorce or the fragmentation of a relationship that you thought was leading to marriage knows that there can be a devastation that takes place in your heart and in your emotions. And so Joseph at this time is contemplating that as difficult as it is, here's what he determines in his heart that he's going to do. He's going to let her go, and he's going to move on, and here's what he's going to suppose. And we all have supposed this. I'll get over it in time. I'll get over it because time has a way. How many of you have ever said that to anybody else? You've said that as a pastor with people that have grieved and gone through the mourning process, especially in the loss of a loved one. We've all shared that. It's common, you know, it's common wisdom that we share that time has a way. You can't see it now, but one day you'll see yourself feeling a little bit differently. In his mind, I'm certain that he began to think this already, though there was not a single person that he was replacing Mary with in his mind. And the reason why I'm using and talking about Joseph's mind is because he does think a lot, to which we'll allude in just a moment. In his mind, I perceive that he's thinking, I will eventually marry, I will eventually, God will give me another bride. I don't know what his emotions were, I, I, would, I would think that part of his emotions are anger. I'm sure he's angry. I'm sure he's angry because there's an unnamed or unknown face that's in his mind right now. Who is the man that slept with my... Are you, are you hearing me? And, and I'm sure he's gone to bed at night saying, is he in my community? Did he meet, did he meet her somewhere in, in the hills of Judea? Who is this? Is he rich? Is he poor? Is he tall? Is he short? Are you hearing me? The thoughts that go in his mind. Anger. Bitterness. Grief, the grieving process, he's already prepared. He's, there's some measure of love in his heart for Mary. Sorrow, perhaps one of the ones that is most difficult to deal with is rejection. Nobody likes to be turned away. Nobody likes to have someone say, you were good, but not good enough. I liked you a lot, but not as much. Are y'all hearing me today? I'm wanting you to identify with Joseph because that's very important. Because you've sat where Joseph has sat. You may have not known it, but you've said exactly where this, this familiar biblical entity or character has sat. 
The 20th verse says, but while he thought on these things. Have you ever had that moment in your life when you could not get it off your mind? You're driving, you're thinking about this situation. People are talking to you, you're nodding, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. Are y'all out there today? And, and, and you're just, mm-hmm, you're watching television, but you're staring at the screen while in your mind. And perhaps the most difficult of all is when we go to bed and the quietness of our home, suddenly our mind is confronted with everything. This is possibly all that he could think about. I believe it's, it's probable that he's somewhat depressed. I, he probably loses weight. He probably hasn't ate in several days because the news. He's heartbroken, right? He's just simply heartbroken. He's, he's, he's grieved over two things. He's grieved over Mary and he's grieved for Mary. He's grieved over his loss because he was looking forward to his life with her and he's also grieved for her that she's going to now raise a child with shame. She's always going to be whispered about of who's the father, look at this girl, she's become a, 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 a blot on the integrity of her family's heritage or, or history. And so he's thinking on these things. But from that, even then, in the 20th verse, is a revealed principle to us that we should catch hold of because it can help us when we do face those defining moment decisions in life. I love this principle. It's small, it's often overlooked. But while he thought on those things... Thank God that he took the time to think rather than just simply react. Because most of the trauma that I have ever had in my life is when I did not take the time to heavily contemplate the circumstances that I was dealing with and there were knee-jerk reactions to situations that I considered confusing and difficult to deal with. So he thought on these things. And as he thought on these things... So what this is saying to me is that on his bed, he's gone to bed this fateful night. He's gone to bed this fateful night, and that's all he can think about. He took a walk. He tried to get it off of his mind. He went fishing. He tried to get it off of his mind. He built a table to sell in the marketplace. He tried to get it off his mind. He couldn't get off his mind. He didn't eat that night. He retired early. He stretched out on his cot. He tried to go to sleep. He counted sheep. He could do nothing. There was nothing. His mind was filled. The thoughts of Mary, the thoughts of what happened, the broken dreams. I've got the foundation poured. I've already purchased the material. I was going to build the house. We were going to start our family together. Now all is lost. I don't know what's going to happen. Did he contemplate suicide? I don't know what's going on in this as he thought for hours on end. Finally, he drifts into sleep and it was there. How many of you know that the Bible says that the Bible, even the book of Job promises us that when we are at the quiet place in the solitude of our sleep, it's there that there are times that God can speak to you. God And so the God of all grace, the God of all the universe, finds himself communing through the voice of an angel in the subconscious mind of a man by the name of Joseph who's dealing with all kinds of personal trauma, and the angel of the Lord speaks to him in a dream. Now let me clarify with you for just a moment. The scripture says, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. There's a difference and a distinction between a dream and dreams and aspirations. We all, when I was a young child or young man, I had 
I had dreams and aspirations of being a basketball player, collegiately or professionally, whatever the case. Those were all of us have certain dreams and aspirations. This is not that kind of dream. This is a literal dream that in the midst of that dream, an angel spoke to him from that dream. And here's the point that I want you to catch right now. It's very important that you hear this today. God can use anyone, anywhere, at any time to speak to you a word that can change your life now and forever. God can use anybody, anywhere, at any time, an angel, the inner witness, the Holy Spirit, a dream, a vision, a word of prophecy, a revelation. God can speak. God wants you to be receptive to what he's about to say. And so God comes to Joseph and begins to speak to him. And listen what he says. He says to Joseph, thou son of David. I won't go into how he brought him into the lineage of the messianic kingdom. But that's a good word right there. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Now whenever you see in scripture those two words, fear not, it's usually the precursor to an opportunity to believe God for something greater than your mind ever fathomed that you had the ability to do or to believe God for. Fear not. Fear not is an opportunity for us to use what God has given us as his children. What is that gift, Pastor Brown? Faith. We have a measure of faith, and faith confronts the fear that's within all of us. As we are confronted with the thing that we think we need to do, the thing that we, are, we perhaps desire to do, but we're afraid to do it, God gives us the courage. The thing we are often afraid to do is what God is calling us to do. If it didn't take fear or faith to overcome fear, then anybody could do it. But God's called you to do things beyond the normal. God's called you to do things beyond the order of everybody else. God's called you to do something great in his kingdom. Don't be afraid. Here's what he was saying to Joseph. Don't be afraid of the ridicule. Don't be afraid of the shame. Take her unto you. What you are about to send away, what you had prepared to send away, rather I want you to do just the opposite of what you had planned to do. You had planned to send her away. Now he says, don't send her away. Isn't it like God to do exactly opposite of what we had thought was the right thing? Don't send her away, rather draw her near. That's the word from God right there. For listen what he said. For that which is conceived in her, that which is conceived in her, remember what the angel told her? Remember what she told Joseph, but his carnal mind would not let him believe because it was against the natural order of man. Now there is an invisible angel that has revealed himself in the subconsciousness of his dream that's saying, the word that I spoke to Mary months ago in this very same city of Nazareth, that word I now speak to you, that thing which is born on the inside of her is not born of the seed of a man. That thing that's born on the inside of her is born of the authoritative word of Almighty God. Hallelujah. A clarification. Notice what God gave him. He gave him a clarification. The baby has not been conceived in sin by the flesh. So here's a revelation for you. Catch this very carefully. It's very important. There are things and there are times in our lives that we think that are our most disappointing, troublesome, frustrating things and that as we deal with them that these things are surely of the flesh. Has to be of the flesh. 
Has to be of the flesh, has to be of the devil. Has to get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. We're, we rebuke everything that we don't like in Pentecostalism. Come on. We do. If it doesn't make us feel good, if we don't think that it's for our benefit, if, it does, if we don't think that's going to lift we rebuke everything and every thought and every notion. Here's the revelation. Sometimes those things you're rebuking, those things that you're planning to send away, sometimes those things that are disappointing to you and that are troublesome and are frustrating are conceived of the Holy Ghost. That's a powerful word on a Sunday morning, two weeks before Christmas. We typically want, here's what we want to do. This is the things that I have had in my own life. We want to abandon or we want to abort things that are conceived in the flesh. But when we discover, when God begins to share with us that this thing is conceived by the Spirit, then our direction and our determination must change. Joseph, up until this point, has felt the pain of the situation, but he has avoided reaction. He's processed the situation, and now he is hearing a word from the Lord. You say, Pastor, what is that? What is what you just explained to me? A defining moment. That's what I brought you all together today to hear. It's a defining moment right here. In his mind, he's at a place of a defining moment. His natural mind says this is of the flesh. Your espoused wife has played the harlot. Your family's going to ostracize you. There's no way you can bring this woman into your household and give her your name and care for her because she's going to be forever blackballed by the people of Nazareth. There's no way when he awakens and when he does confess this to his family, I'm sure many of them said, Joseph, you are out of your mind. There's no way you can do this. And yet he's confronted with the voice, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit revealed through an angel. This is of God. This is the will of God. You need to receive it and accept it. And you need to not send it away, but you need to draw it near. I'm calling that a divine and a defining moment in your life. I want you to hear this today real quickly. Very important today. Your response to situations like this can be the defining moment in your life. When you ask yourself the question, you begin to seek, is this the will of God for my life? Who we are and what we become in life is usually our response to one or a few critical decisions that are made either proactively or in response to the situation. All of us will look back at some point in our life and we could begin to narrow our life down to a series of just a few defining moments along the way that cause us to be who we are as we excel in the kingdom of God or how we have missed the opportunity that God gave us to have faith and overcome the fear of this world. Are y'all hearing me today? Today, I've got a couple more things. Let me drop this in your spirit real quickly today. My thoughts have been to kind of beef this up. I'm watching the time. It is hot as Hades in here today. Hades is a Greek word meaning a hot place. Shane, did you turn on air on one side? You can go ahead and circulate. I know I've got fi- to wrap up a little bit faster, but I've got to finish this. Today. I can't cut this all you know, tonight. You're not going to get this in the cantata tonight, so you might as well get it right now today. I've got two sermons. I've got to make up four and one today. You remember that passage of Scripture in the story of Esther? When Esther, and I won't go back and recount all the story, but it was that pivotal moment in Esther's life. And Esther was the young virgin girl that was chosen to be a part of the first bachelor program. You remember that evil, wicked program that we have on ABC today called the bachelor program? Some of the ladies go, I can't believe Pastor Brown called this. It's a wicked, evil program. Don't watch it. I exhort you in Jesus' name. And so... 
when this particular bachelor program, they didn't just flaunt flesh in front of the bachelor. In this case, he slept with virgin after virgin until he chose this one because he had put away his first wife. Oddly enough, a young Jewish girl had been chosen by the Persian king to be his next queen. But you remember the story how the Haman, the, 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 the first oppressor in essence, the first Hitler of his generation had hated the Jews and wanted to destroy them and had manipulated the king that on a fateful day he would destroy all the Jewish uh, people that were living in, in Persia. And with that, Esther's uncle, Mordecai, heard about it, knew about it, came to Esther and said, Esther... Now listen, you're in the throne room right now, no doubt. You're the queen. He said, but I want you to know that when they start killing Jews, that sword can reach you as well. That sword can find you here. And he said, but I want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about this for just a moment. He said, he said this. He said, I want you to think about this right here. He said, if you remain silent, if you don't say anything at all, God can raise up somebody else to do what you should do. But I want you to know, and I could just see Mordecai looking at her with the piercing prophetical word of an unction from God, and that's who I represent for a moment today. When he looked at Esther and he said, but perhaps you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, a defining moment in your life when you're confronted with the word of God to go forward and begin to progressively and proactively move in the will of God, you're at a point where you've got to make a decision. I can slip away to obscurity and God can use somebody else or I can rise and be the man or the woman God's called me to be and come hell or hot water. I know my God is going to lift me beyond the circumstances that I'm dealing with right now. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Daryl, join me on the platform. That doesn't mean I'm closing in that verse, the 21st through the 23rd verse for just a moment. The Lord spoke these things to him. You're going to call his name Jesus. All this is done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet uh, Isaiah. A virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. I want you to hear this today. You've already begun to identify with Joseph for just a moment. The thing that God has asked of you to do. I want you to hear this today. If God asks you to do it, it always has great promise, and it always carries great potential. Listen, God don't play around. Come on, come on. If God's in it, he's going to take something small and make it much. Come on. God's going to take something little and make it great. And so this thing, this is God speaking in essence to Joseph. And I'm just paraphrasing and putting my common language upon it. This thing that you will see in its infancy will one day have a much greater impact than you can ever imagine. This little thing that you can't even see right now because it's in her womb. That thing that you cannot see will one day have an eternal impact that all the worlds, all the known worlds will one day point to that singular entity that's on the inside of her womb. And God's chosen him. Come on, somebody, to be the stepfather. That which in, is in her is of the Spirit. He will save his people from their sins. How many of you believe he did that today? Jesus Christ, high on the Calvary's cross, has saved us from our sins. He is the eternal sacrifice. And the word was that this was done to fulfill the prophetic word spoken long ago. Hear this, it's a nugget of truth. Prophetic words often have miraculous conception. They do. But they usually require a pr practical progression. Somebody has to remember the word that was spoken and when the time is right, you've got to be prepared to move. Somebody has to believe the word spoken and then respond to it. Joseph, you're going to need to take care of her and you're going to need to take care of him. Joseph, she's going to be closer to this situation than you are, 
But you're going to be a catalyst for his faith. Because God entrusted the Jewish men to pass the faith to their children. Not beginning with the Jewish women. The Jewish men. She will be closer to the situation than you are, but you're going to be the catalyst for his faith. Remember, he was first known in Nazareth, not as the son of God or the son of man, but the son of the carpenter. Are y'all hearing that today? That's a good word. And so people, after a time, are going to associate him with you. But when you get ready to name him, though I know you would like to, and I know that you've got a great heritage, a spiritual heritage, but you can't name him after your dad, and you can't name him after your grandpa and your great-grandpa, because i got a name reserved in heaven for that chosen one. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Glory to God. And when Joseph called his name Jesus, he set his identity in motion for who he would be. Joseph, the 24th verse, being raised from the sleep. And that's where you're at today. Listen to this carefully as I'm closing. Somebody here needs to hear me today. It's time for you to waken out of sleep. You heard the word. And you need to rise up and have the courage to do what God's called you to do. Come on, somebody. That's where fear not comes in. That's where you need faith because the thing that God often puts in front of us is a great challenge. I don't want you to think that I'm implying that your situation is trivial. Your situation can be a mountain. But the Bible promises us that we can have mountain-moving faith. We'll just trust the Lord. God is calling someone to do what they've been afraid to do and reluctant to do, but you know it needs to be done. That's why God brought me here this morning to speak the word over your life. I represent the angel. Actually, the word angel in the Greek is actually messenger. And I represent a messenger today to speak to you. God says, now's the time for you to do what he's called you to do. The 25th verse is the last verse. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Thus the story ends in that context here. I like this for just a moment in closing with these thoughts before I ask you to bring to come forward for a moment of prayer. Listen to this. These are all my thoughts and my contemplations as I heard God speak to me sitting right there on that step on a Thursday morning about 9 a.m. As I prayed, God just began to quicken things. And I moved with pen and ink to capture on paper what God was speaking to my spirit. Sometimes it's difficult to do. Sometimes it's hard to have all the thoughts that are running through your mind that you know you're in the vein, you're hearing the voice of God. This is not something else. I've not copied and pasted. I've not borrowed this from another preacher. These are just the thoughts that I believe God put in my heart for you. And I'm trying to capture them and write them down. And I wrote these things down just real quickly. Because Joseph obeyed the voice of the angel in the dream, God continued to speak to him in dreams. Three more times in the passage of Scripture, God preserved his life and Mary's life through a dream. See, when you begin to obey God, God will speak to you and even... Are y'all hearing me? When you begin to move forward and proactively pursue the will of God, God will begin to speak for confirmation to your life. Because Joseph obeyed the voice of the Lord, though his time in Scripture is brief, listen to this, he does not slip to biblical obscurity. Did you hear that? Rather, how many of you know Joseph this day is famous in the eyes of God and men? He lived in a remote village of Nazareth. But 2,000 years later, Joseph's life is still being portrayed in cantatas and programs. And this very day, we name our children Joseph because a man woke out of sleep and said, I'm going to do what I know God's called me to do. Though people laugh at me, people shun me, and people think I'm foolish, I'm going to do what I know is right in my spirit. 
You can set a heritage for your life that you may never see the full revelation of it in your lifetime, but one day people will look back and I say, I remember when Grandpa, I remember this person right here made a decision. I heard about it. It changed the course of our entire family. He knew her not in closing. Last point today for our conclusion. Stand up this morning if you would. Notice this 25th verse. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Tell you, God is a gracious God. Most of the time I've discovered that the things that we are willing to give and sacrifice, God responds and returns it to us. He's a great God of recompense. You sow it, you'll reap it. Come on. You sow it and you do what God's called you to do. How many know you'll turn back? You sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit you'll reap great things. He preserved. Listen to this. Catch this 25th verse. There is a depth to this verse that I'd never considered before. He preserved the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Did you know God trusted Joseph to rule over his own fleshly appetites? To walk with Mary and be with her for the next six months before she would bring forth the child? And to not know her intimately? God trusted him. Are y'all hearing me today? Even after he said, I do in the sight of men, in the sight of God. And they had their little marriage reception somewhere there in Nazareth. And somehow when most uh, husbands and wives slip off to the bridal chamber to actually consummate their marriage, Joseph refrained from that moment because God had asked him to do so. Isn't that good right there? God entrusted him and he did. He ruled over his flesh. But listen to this. This is a powerful word right here. One day, how many of you know that Joseph did know Mary intimately? I mean, no, he did. The Bible tells us that there were other children of Joseph and Mary. Right? There were. That Jesus was the firstborn child to Joseph and Mary. Not to Joseph, but to Mary. One day, Joseph did know Mary intimately. And at the time of the consummation of their marriage, she was a mother. But she was still a virgin. Now, that doesn't mean that much to you sitting here today. But to a Hebrew 2,000 years ago, that meant everything. In the eyes of God, in the eyes of man. That he allowed God to put his spirit over her womb and bring forth the seed of God, the child of God. But when he would know her intimately, she would still be a virgin as he consummated their marriage. How many of you know our God is an awesome God today? Hallelujah. Here's the, I've got it right here. It says conclusion. It's 1201. Joseph was faced with a very difficult decision. You say, Pastor, what was it? It was a defining moment in his life. It was a defining moment. Judge, I remember nine years ago, nine years ago, ten years ago now, you were seated in a class, somewhere a, a, a class at college, and God just spoke to you right there and said, you, I want you to move back home. I want you to go to Heber Springs, and I want you to go meet the pastor that's just been elected down there. How many know that was a defining moment right there in your life? You had to act. No angel came and there were not bright lights. It was just a defining moment. It's a word, a revelation. Some of you have got that going on in your life right now. And you've lacked the courage. Now the window, the window is not just one day. I don't know how long the window is, but I do know that you've got to react at some point in time. You can't be caught in that fear of unbelief for too long. Had Joseph hesitated too long, God would have had to found somebody else. Are you hearing me? God would already, he'd already sent his son. His seed was alive in Mary's womb. He would have found somebody else. Joseph would have slipped to biblical obscurity. We wouldn't even know of him today, but because he rose up and he responded. Listen, God rewarded his faithfulness. What about you? It's a simple question. Is there a defining moment in your life
Is there something God is dealing with you about today? I think there is. I don't think God would have gave me a sermon of this context had there not been people under the sound of my voice that would have been here, that, would have, that, that will be here today, that would be here today, that just needed the word from a messenger that says, you thought this thing was of the flesh, but I've been working in it. I want you to rise up and respond to it the right way. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to pray. We're going to, I'm going to give you a moment to respond two ways. First, with an upraised hand. Secondly, it would be wrong if we didn't come forward and just pray if there's any that raised their hand. I would hope and pray that there is. I, I don't know every situation here. I, I'm not, I, I'm not uh, able to say that I look into a sphere that when every person comes through the doors of this church, their life history, past and present, and, and their future is unveiled to me. I, I certainly simply know you at face value. I know you through casual conversation, and I know some a little more intimately through our interactions in the church and through our lives being woven together. But I don't know everything that goes on in the inside of you. I don't know if there's something that God has been speaking to you about. There's something that you've been facing that you know that you need to respond to, but you didn't know how to respond. You didn't know what direction you should take. But you know that you can't sit at the crossroads forever. You can't sit there forever. You've got to make a decision eventually. And a word like today comes along to tell you that you can hear the voice of God. And when you hear that voice, you need to move forward and begin to pursue the will of God for your life. You need to pursue it. Fear not. Those same words spoken to Joseph in the depth of his dream is applicable to you today. Fear not. If that's you, that you've been contemplating a few things in your heart and life, and you know there's something there, and you, you're, you're on the precipice that you need to react to, let me see your hand today quickly. Let me see your hand today. Come on. Come on. Is there anybody? There's three, four. Come on, five. Come on. Let's be honest. This is our moment together. Let's don't play church in here today. I'm not talking about jingle bells and snow sleds. I, I don't have time for that. I'm talking about lives being changed, people making decisions at de defining moments in their life that will, again, affect who you are in generations to come. It's critical. It's critical. Come forward if you raise your hand, and we're going to pray a group prayer. You had the courage. I believe there are a lot more than what raised their hand. You come forward, and you just, you just stand here, and we'll just, gather, we'll just gather together corporately as a moment to just begin to pray. To pray. It might be the answer to call to ministry. It might be in relation to a spouse, a situation you're dealing with. It might be a job or a career. I don't know. There's a lot of applications. I can't unveil it all or unfold it all. But you know your situation. Come on. I just want you to know that you know it, and God knows it. Right? That inner witness, the voice of the Holy Spirit. God is speaking to some of you here today. A few of y'all, come on and let's press in. Shane and Joe, let's just press in. Let's begin to put a hand on their shoulder. Let's begin to pray. Anybody, come on right now. Some of you are wiping tears from your eyes and you're not coming.